Welcome to the main experience. Hey now, welcome back everyone to the main experience podcast. I am your host, Jason DeWald, and you are listening to episode four. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the show and give us a follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram uh, to make sure you don't miss out on all things The Main Experience. We have a great show in store for you today, so let's get right to it. Our guest today is James LaPlante. James is the owner of Sopo Coworks, a co-working space in South Portland. He's also the founder of Sputnik Animation, an Emmy Award-winning animation studio specializing in science and documentary animation. Later in our main music feature, we have the track Coastal Root by a band from the mid-coast of Maine called The Gainers. And finally, our main soundscape will feature a recording I made while on a bike ride on the Eastern Trail here in Scarborough, Maine. But first, here's my conversation with James LaPlante. All right, everybody. Welcome to the show. We are at the Portland Pod, Maine's first commercial podcasting studio servicing businesses in Maine. It's a great studio, great space. Happy to be here. Um, And it's a part of Sopo Coworks. Um, a co-working space here in South Portland, Maine. And that brings us to our guest for the day, James LaPlante, the founder of Sopo Coworks. Welcome to the show, man. Well, thank you. Uh, can you share a little bit about where we're sitting today, where we're at, and um, uh, what led you down the path to develop a co-working space here in South Portland? Sure. So we're, uh, we are sitting in the Portland Pod, which is a podcasting studio that we've uh, built out with uh, Tanner Campbell over at the Portland Pod as part of uh, Sopo Coworks. So we were a co-working space in South Portland, Maine uh, that I started. We opened last May. Uh, we were renovating six months before that, a lot of DIY involved in it. Uh, and the idea behind it was to open up a co-working space to build a community um, of folks here to kind of share space and, and collaborate with and share ideas with. Uh, I've owned this building for 10 years uh, traditionally just rented it as a regular office space, had my animation studio running out of it and had uh, some other tenants like a hair salon. We had a lot of uh, therapy, therapeutic uh, suites in here. So we had a more of a traditional use, but the three of us in our animation studio were going stir crazy um, because we wanted other people to interact with. We wanted other creatives yeah. to kind of bounce ideas off of. So we were actually in the process of trying to sell the building and move over toward like Thompson's Point to share space with another creative studio because okay. we were craving company, craving other creative folks. Um, that uh, wasn't really going to work out for us. And then the more I started networking with local people that I knew in the creative industry here, the more the idea of, of instead of moving over to the peninsula to stay put where we are and build a community here and invite people over here. Um, And the way the Portland Peninsula is growing, I see it coming. I see the fact that people are just, they're not going to be able to deal with the lack of parking and the expense. They're going to need somewhere to go. And we are in a a great position for that. We're right next door to the peninsula. It takes eight minutes to 
you know, jump over to 295. Sure, to this get is over like there. the first of the overflow area. Yeah. Of, of come rang it right out yeah. downtown Portland. So, yeah. you know, for me, that's what I saw. So instead of joining a community, I wanted to build a community. So we, you know, looked into it. I did a pitch competition in South Portland for it. Um, it came in like second place on that. Um, and that kind of reaffirmed that it was a good idea. And the more people I talked to, the more people were like, dude, it's a no brainer. Like, yeah. Do this. There's going to be a demand for that. Um, and so far, it's been great. You know, we've had a lot of people kind of come into the space. And, and the idea is to bring in a couple different audiences to the community or a couple different, you know, members to the community. One is to uh, find other media professionals. And we've got a, a good group, core group right now formed. We've got a videographer. Uh, we've got our podcast folks. We've got a, a sound designer does music. Um, we've got an independent couple independent filmmakers. Um, I'm hoping to add, you know, we're talking to other folks who are interested mm -hmm. in kind of coming on board. Um, and then on top of that, we're looking for startups, yeah. small businesses trying to get up off the ground. Um, and the idea is to create a co-working space that follows what's called an agency model. So the idea is to have all the elements you might find at like an advertising agency, but all independent folks as part of this community. So that if you've got a startup and you're here and you get to the point where you're like, great, we need a website, but we can't design websites. Well, maybe there's a web designer upstairs. Sure. You can talk to them or, you know, we need an employee video so you can hire someone yep. you know, right here in house to shoot your employee video or promotional video. Um, so that's the idea is to have kind of an a la carte. It's a great idea. You know, yeah. experience for those. Idea. And then we're able to help the people who are starting up and they're able to help us and we're able to network with each other. You know, so you've got a videographer who shoots and edits, but maybe he needs animation while well, I do sure. animation and then they need sound and they can come to the podcasting suite and record voiceovers or do their audiobook or, you know, any other thing. One stop uh, shop. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So that's really the idea behind it all. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Can Now, you mentioned your animation company that was sort of the, the start of it all. Can you tell us a little bit about it and its origins as well? Yeah, so um, Sputnik Animation is my animation company, and that's really the core anchor kind of here at, at Sopo Coworks. Um, I've been running Sputnik for 21 years now. Uh, we started over in Portland um, back. Uh, we started in the Government Center Building, which is kind of over in the you know east. Um, what is that neighborhood called now? Sorry, my brain's just frying. It's where like Bayside Bowl is. Okay. Um, that whole area. So we, we started in that neighborhood back in 1997 when it was a very different place. Sure. It's a, it's like the hip place to be right now. It was not the hip place to be when we started. Um, and we just had a small little studio, a couple of guys working on stuff. And then we moved to a building out on the waterfront on near the old port. It was a Marine Trade Center building. And that was great. Yeah. But it was uh, not we weren't using it for the traditional use it's kind of reserved for marine industries but they were renting it out to some other folks so it was fun because we could work on our animation and look out the window sure. and you could see seals playing in That's the harbor awesome. and Fantastic. you know eating the fish as the fishing boats were coming in so that was that was a lot of fun so cool um but the prices kept going up and it kept getting more and more expensive so we ended up leaving that and and buying uh, uh we actually bought a residential style house for our first studio over okay. here in South Portland, um, operated in that, uh, for quite a while. And then we outgrew it. Um, and we bought the building that was literally right next door to the house that we bought. Um, it was bigger than what I needed, 
Uh, but what I did is uh, my partner at the time, she was a, a therapist, um, and she opened up half of the building. Uh, we renovated it specifically for, like, therapy suites for, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, psychiatrists and sure. social workers and stuff like that. And then my side was the animation studio. Um, and back in our heyday, we were doing series production for Discovery Channel and National Geographic um, and Animal Planet. So we had a lot of shows going through the pipeline all at once. So I had a large staff. We had the whole half of the building was our building. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was great. <clears throat> it was kind of the heyday. We had a lot of work going on. It had a lot of staff and we needed the space. Um, and then reality television programming hit. And instead of needing, you know, animated uh, engineering or dinosaurs, uh, people were like, oh, we're going to shoot the next episode of Honey Boo Boo. You don't need animation for Honey Boo Boo. So uh, all of a sudden, like our landscape that we worked in changed dramatically. Uh, there was a race for this reality programming. And a lot of the production companies that we worked for weren't doing the kind of work that needed animation anymore. They were yeah. doing this reality stuff. So so we had to shift. And we shifted towards science uh, animation. And we started working more for uh, places like MIT and Harvard. Interesting. Um, and then the biotech sector, you know, the whole biotech market down in Massachusetts has been a huge okay. uh, kind of market space for us. So we're applying the same experience that we had doing documentaries because documentaries we often did science and engineering and history yep. and topics like that. And the great thing about that is because we're doing documentaries for television, we have to take these concepts from scientists and translate it to something that a regular audience can understand. It yeah. has to understand quickly because you don't have all day. Yeah to teach people the complex science behind something, you need them to understand it in 15 seconds. Yeah. Um, so doing that was a great way for us to then interface with folks at MIT and these scientists at these biotechs and tell their story in a way that registered with a more, you know, with a regular audience. Yeah. Because uh, I think one of the challenges, especially for biotechs, is that they – you know, they're all scientists and they all work with each other and they all talk to their peers. And because of that, they're always trying to use the biggest words. Yeah. And they write and think in a way that regular people don't. Yeah. It's very efficient for them because when they're talking to each other, they completely get what they're talking about. But to someone outside of that conversation, you're like, yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. Sure. Um, so I come in and, and I talk to these scientists and the scientists are incredibly passionate and they just dump everything they know out and half of it just goes right over my head. Yeah. But I let them do it. I let them just get it all out. And then I will go back and I'll go, okay, this is the half I picked up. And here are the questions about the half I didn't get. And then we have this conversation and they love to talk about their work. I mean, they're incredibly passionate about it. And I'm a nerd. I love science. So I love to learn this stuff and have them kind of teach it to well, me. Well, they probably love explaining it once they know what you need explained, right? They do. Yeah, for the most part, they're they're great. We, you know, have a good rapport with yeah. them and they don't, you know, they don't get frustrated because they yeah. didn't get something. Um, it's hard because uh, I'm a victim of my own success sometimes because now when I talk to scientists and they see all the other scientists that I've worked with, they just assume I have a PhD in something. <laughs> right. So they won't explain things to me. They'll just keep going. And I have to kind of step back and go, okay, yeah, I don't have a PhD in microbiology. So can you explain what this or that, you know, sure. means? Um, and then a lot of times I'm trying to get across, you know, well, what is your, what's your communication objective? What's your story? What do you want your audience to understand or yeah. walk away with? Um, 
so that that's another big part of it because they're you know scientists their brains work differently than artists yeah so i'm trying to use my artistic brain to translate their scientific brain um and bring it into like a visual storytelling medium sure so the audience can look at it and go oh i get how gene editing works now yeah or, you know i have a much better understanding of that so well when i first met you that was i found that so interesting when you told me that you were had worked on these science documentaries for television because you know when you're watching television you don't always think about where that stuff comes from but from an animator's perspective i'm curious about what some specific challenges are as an animator when you're approaching a project like that or is it just another day creating something from nothing you know um and every project's a challenge yeah. and it's always something different um the biotechnology animation is very challenging it tends to be much more complicated yeah. animation to do if you're you know, if I'm animating something that's, um, uh, you know, electronic device or something mechanical that has kind of hard surfaces and moves in a way that's predictable, like, you know, you hit a button and a door opens up, mm -hmm. that stuff is much more straightforward to animate. If you're animating these molecular processes that are going on inside of cells, they're just complicated. They're com they're They're complicated in ways that, like, break your brain sometimes because wow. you have these you know, molecules, which are made of all these little different balls that connect together, and then they change shape. Yeah. And they change shape in ways that is, you know, not something you're used to. You know, it doesn't click in a way that you can just say, oh, I just twist it this way. Like, no, nah, they, they're fluid, and they're moving, and they're always changing. Um, and that in, in the animation world is a lot harder to figure out. So we're dealing with a, a harder technical challenge. We're dealing with things like particle systems and um, working out a lot of technical workflows to make that happen and make that stuff look good. And it, and it's always a balancing act because scientists, they always start out with it needs to be 100% accurate, 100%, mm -hmm. you know, to, they want it to scale. They want it to move, you know, according to the way it's supposed to re move in reality. And they want it to look like it's supposed to look. And in some cases that goes completely against telling the visual story because mm -hmm. there's so much noise in the natural world that gets in the way of it. So our challenge as animators is to convince these scientists to pull details out of the picture that aren't necessary for the audience. So the audience can kind of clearly see, you know, what's going on. So um, an example of that is we did an animation on the CRISPR gene editing process. Okay. And the molecular model for that um, – it's called a Cas9 uh, protein, is like this incredibly complicated 3D structure. And the DNA gets kind of captured inside of that. Um, and then once it's captured in place, it uses these little molecular uh, snippers, but they're, they kind of pull the DNA apart in a very specific place. If we were to model that 100% accurately, the DNA would just get lost in this mess of the molecule. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't see the action that was going on. So we used a different artistic approach for the molecule. We made a kind of blob-shaped model of it, and we made it largely see-through. So it was accurate in the sense it was based on the actual molecule, but we removed a lot of detail from yep. it so the audience could see what was going on under the hood. That's and, really interesting. Um, and that takes, you know, you have to pitch that. You have yep. to sell that to the people that you're working with because they're, they don't think that way. Yep. They, they think in the more literal because they're scientists. They, they this want is what to think, it is. And that's how they should think. A scientist should think that way because they're dealing with kind of research and facts and reality. Yeah. 
animators are a bit more in the fantasy world, yeah. but when we're dealing with science communications, we want to get an accurate factual point across, but we have to take some artistic liberties to help the audience. It's really interesting. Get it's, that. it's so interesting to hear how those two worlds meet and, and, and collaborate, you know, did you have a lot of real world examples of some things that you, that they were able to provide, you know, you know, images or, or video of microscopic you know, things um, like that or no, because if they had those things, they, they wouldn't be hiring them. me. <laughs> they yeah. Used them. <laughs> yeah. They, they would have just gone with the video and not hired me to do it. So yeah, a, a lot of times, I mean, anime, I don't want to produce animation if a visual already yeah. exists, especially a science visual. Yeah. If they've got an electron microscope video or photo of something, that's what you should show your audience yeah. as long as the audience gets it. Um, I think animation helps when you've got to choreograph it, do some very specific things with it, or you're just trying to show something that the naked eye can't see. Yeah. Um, or trying to demonstrate something in a, you know, in a very specific way. So, yeah, so a lot of times the reference material we get from scientists are their napkin doodles wow. um, or some really grainy images from a microscope yeah. that, you know, don't help us a ton. Um, occasionally we do get data from them, but that, poses a whole other challenge because their scientific data is incredibly rich, yeah. but it means that the files are huge and they're not compatible with kind of our animation software. So there's a technical challenge and how do we translate that stuff in? Yeah. Um, we did a project for MIT a couple of years ago where they had, um, you know, taken a section of brain that was frozen and they sliced it in these very, very thin slices and scanned each slice and then created a 3D model data set from it but it was incredibly, there's a ton of information there. And it took us a month to take that data and figure out how to translate it into our 3D software to render it out for them. And we showed it to them and they were like, wow, this is awesome. And then within six months time, they had you know some folks at MIT develop their own program to ingest all that information and create an interactive 3D model of it. And it was like, they, they had a much better solution to it than you know, we did. Um, which was great. I think that yeah. that's what I would rather see that. And it innovation. shows how quickly the technology can move when problems need solved or, you know, the people at MIT yeah. need to solve a problem, yeah, yeah. I guess, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, um, is there any upcoming projects that the animation studio is working on that you want to talk about or, or share or um, can you share? Or? I, we've got a couple projects in our current pipeline, uh, one of which I can't really talk about because it hasn't opened yet. Um, there's a museum we're working on, uh, the theater exhibit, which is, is a very cool project. Um, it's a projection mapping, which is where you, you know, use projectors to put an image on a, a shaped surface. So it's not like a flat screen. Mm -hmm. In our case, there's like a giant dome in the center of it. Okay. Um, and you can do effects on the dome that look 3D to the audience. Yeah. So it's a kind of a fun thing. And then there's all these other side uh, window monitors and the whole show has to kind of play as one big piece. Um, but that museum, I don't think that exhibit's going to open until later this summer. So I can't go into too much more detail, sure. but it's been a really fun project That's to cool. work on. Um, I love working in that kind of live, you know, larger space, the museum or interactive space is kind of a fun thing that yeah. you get to do uh, every once in a while. And then uh, we are working with a MIT scientist, Ed Boyden, um, we did a project for him last year or the year before uh, on this thing he invented called expansion microscopy. Um, and the simple explanation for that is he 
Like you can only view things so small with an optical microscope. Okay. At some point, things get so small that photons just can't bounce in okay. a way where you can see what you're looking at. And he got this idea, well, instead of trying to see these things that are small, what if we make the small things bigger and then look at them with a microscope and we can see much more detail? And specifically, he's looking at neurons or brain tissue. Um, and then he got this idea, well, what if there's some way for me to take brain tissue and expand it? And he was like, oh, I know what's great. I know what expands uh, these polymers that expand. Well, it's the same polymers that are in baby diapers. So baby diaper gets wet. It expands. It traps mm -hmm. all this fluid in it. He figured out a way to take the same baby diaper polymer and put it in brain tissue, put fluorescent markers in that, and then blow the whole process up. And then you can map out and see neurons in a level of detail that you couldn't see before. Wow. Um, and that was a super challenging project to work on. But he's now doing a project that inverts that whole concept uh, for a completely different reason. It's not to research brain stuff. It's to do this other whole other thing. So, um, you know, so we're in the process of trying to figure that out. We're in early stages on that one. Just Very cool. storyboarding it. Really yeah. interesting stuff, man. That is really, that's really cool. Well, that, 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 let's go back a little bit. Let's go back sure. to the beginning. What, you know, you as a person, what inspired you at a young age or whatever age to kind of like go into these arts, you know, the, the creative arts, the media, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I, when I was nine or 10, uh, my dad took me to see this movie. We waited in line that went all the way around the movie theater. It was Star Wars. <laughs> so I walked in the theater. I watched Star Wars. All the other kids are running around going, I want to be a Jedi. And I was like, I want to be George Lucas. <laughs> I was like, I just, that's what I want to do. I want to make movies. Um, that's awesome. And that was, yeah, that was it. That was what inspired me at that point. So I, and how many kids you know, just like you were inspired oh, to enter the, there's the, the, tons this of them. Medium, I mean, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. That there's movie generations did. of, of yeah. people inspired by those films to just kind of get into the creative arts and, and that's awesome and do stuff like that. So, yeah. So, okay. So that was at a young age. That's always great when yeah. you can find out what you love at a young age, as you got older, entered high school, entered college, what were some of the challenges that you faced wanting to pursue this sort of maybe outside the norm, you know, career path? Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because I mean, I did a lot of this stuff. I just did it. Yeah. I was fortunate. You know, I had a, I had a father who was one of these tech nerd early adopters. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he had bought a VHS camera, you it's know, awesome. back in the day when effectively you had to strap an entire VCR to your body yeah. and the camera was this massive heavy thing, but he bought one and, and I just ran around, you know, making movies with my buddies and, awesome. and doing that. And then, you know, he decided to go get an Atari computer and I started messing with the computer and then uh, uh, they had some early 3D software come out. So in junior high, I'm noodling with this 3D program that had been written on the Atari computer, uh, not even knowing that later on in my career, I would be using the more professional version of the same software that wow. the guy wrote, you know, for that, uh, you know, that PC. But it was just like, I had a passion for it and I just did it. Yeah. Um, and wanted to continue doing that. And then uh, I went to the University of Maine at Orono and my parents were like, you need to be in computer science because that's where the money is. And they were right. That was where the money was. But that was not where my passion was. And uh, the University of Maine did not have a great computer science program at the time. Um, so I was frustrated by that. It wasn't giving me 
what I wanted and I wanted to be a filmmaker. They didn't necessarily have like a film program there, but they had a broadcast production program. Okay. So I just kind of like went with that. Yeah. Um, and my parents were like, why are you trying to get into that? There's, you know, what are you going to do with that? The money's in computers. And I'm like, yeah, yeah but this is my passion. This is what I want to do. Um, and I, I paid my way through college. So I worked every job I could get my hands on. And one of the jobs that I worked was for the university's television department. Um, and they had a PC sitting in the corner that had computer animation software on it. Nobody knew how to use it. It just was sitting there. They got a grant to get it at some point. Um, and the guy that I was working under was like, you know, if you want to play with that or you want to figure it out, feel free. Yeah. So every free moment I had, I was in there teaching myself how to use this That's thing. Awesome. I was up all night trying to figure it out. And then I did little goofy things on it. And the guy I was working under was like, wait, you figured it out? Oh, cool. <laughs> Can you do some stuff for me? Here, right. here's a list of things I need. So I just kept doodling and, you He's know. like, I've been waiting for somebody to figure yeah. out how to use that thing. Yeah. So I just, I kept, you know, producing, you know, animations for That's them, awesome. little rudimentary stuff. Um, and then that, you know, that relationship that I had there started my first job. Yeah. Um, once I got into that first job, you know, it was at a TV station and they had a much better computer graphics system than the one I had, you know, in college. So when that was not being used by the person who usually used it, I would sneak in and start, you know, painting on it and using it and kind of checking it out. So, um, you know, that was kind of those, you know, those early days and then I got a job uh, down in Portland uh, for a company that did computer animation. So I was getting closer. Before that, I was just doing everything. I was shooting and producing, mm -hmm. editing, um, which was great because I had this kind of well-rounded sense of production. Um, but my, I really wanted to do animation. So I got my foot in the door at this place in Portland and, again, just started working with the tools and innovating and kind of pushing stuff, you know, as it grew. Um, did that for a couple of years and then I kind of got frustrated with it and uh, started thinking like, well, you know, I think I'm ready to just do this on my own. Mm. So I kind of went out and freelanced uh, for a short period of time. And then I, I partnered with another production house to kind of start. Uh, back then it was like the interactive days. So I wanted to start doing interactive programming and, you know, it was Flash and Mac Macromedia Director, mm -hmm. all those things that don't exist anymore. Right. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I kind of noodled around with that space for a while. Um, and then after a couple of years of, of, I started basically a division within their company, um, decided that I would be better off as my own separate company. So I spun off, yeah. um, into Sputnik and that was the start, you know, of things for Sputnik there. Very so, cool, man. It's a great story. Yeah. It's a great story. So how did, um, tell us this, this podcast is the main experience. So let's focus okay. on Maine here a little bit. Yep. Um, are you originally from here? I am not. Okay. I'm, I'm. Not a native. Uh, I was. You're I from was, away, as they I'm, say. I've learned. Uh, I'm from away, <laughs> and probably one of the worst ways you could be. I'm from Massachusetts, okay. so <laughs> I got I got dragged up here by my mom when I was in uh, high school. Okay, uh, it was a big culture shock. Um, it took a bit to adjust to, but now I would never go back. You love it. Uh, yeah, I go, I do a lot of business in Massachusetts, which means I'm down there often, just enough to remind me that I'd much rather be here in Maine. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. What um, what's one of your favorite spots in Maine? Whether it's uh, 
I don't know, you know, something scenic to go see or a camping trip. Or I know there's like a good, about a gazillion places to do that kind of yeah. stuff up here. So is there a place that, to go to for you that you, that holds a special place in your heart? Or? Um, you know, there's all sorts of places I could talk about that I like to go. But I, and honestly, I think it's the place, the spaces that are more easily accessible to me that are ones that I enjoy. So I like going up to the you know, Bug Light Park over at Spring Point. Okay. Um, I used to kayak. I wish I kayaked more, but I mean, Casco Bay, kayaking Casco Bay is, that yep. was my jam for the longest time. Um, and those are things that are all right here. Yeah. I don't feel like I have to drive two hours, you know, up to Rockland to get my fix. Like, that's the nice thing about Maine is yeah. like right here in our own backyard. There's yeah. all these amazing things. Um, Rockland is great. And Bar Harbor is great. And, you know, all those places are fun. Uh, to kind of go visit but yeah it's i just like being here cool being able to do things right in my own backyard that's great that's great now do you have a favorite pl- I, you know me and my girlfriend we're big eaters and drinkers and i've i'm learning that i think there's a lot of people in the portland area that are big eaters and drinkers oh, because yeah. there's there's a lot of good stuff to try so you have yep. any places that you you go to for a for a drink or eat or take out or anything like that um you know my uh my latest thing is this little hidden gem that I discovered uh, right here in South Portland. So it's called Lee's Variety. Okay. And it's this just your classic main convenience store uh, over by the airport. But the family that runs it, this great family, has this just amazing uh, Thai food and Vietnamese food. And they make these banh mi sandwiches that are to die for. Awesome. I had a friend of mine who was like, you have to go there and, and try the Bon Me. And I don't know how many times I've driven by the place and gone, oh, that place looks yeah. just run down. I'm not sure I'll go in there. And it's not. It's like you go in and they have these amazing sandwiches and that's, yeah, that's kind of my jam. Like that's... I can't, now I'm going to have to go get one for lunch today because <laughs> we're talking about it. <laughs> and now all I can think about is a Bon Me. So. That's fantastic. Um, you have any, uh, you know, kind of wrapping up here, do you have any advice for, for anybody pursuing a creative profession, sort of, or not even creative, but anything sort of outside the norm, any young person or that's inspired to do something other than go get a degree in, yeah, you know, whatever. I I have uh, student groups and students come in often and kind of meet with me, and they're in these programs and you know trying to figure it out, and uh, uh, the, the, you know I always give them kind of the same advice which is there's nothing holding you back from doing it uh so you you need to tap into your passions what is it that you like to do and you need to get out there and start making that and and pouring yourself uh into it and it's funny because in in my industry i get you know we get applications for people who want to work at the studio i don't look at what degree they have i don't look at what school they go to um, I look at their demo. I look at the demo reel. And if in the first 30 seconds of that demo, I'm not incredibly wowed, I just, it goes in the file and I go on to the next one. And, and you know, you go out there and I've seen people who go to very nice art schools and they come out and their demo is just kind of like, eh, great, you're good at doing tutorials. And then I'll see a kid in junior high who's just incredibly passionate about stop motion animation and it's amazing work. Yeah. And it's like that is that's the talent, you know, that I'm looking for. So and there's nothing stopping you from doing it. When I was a kid, you know, I grew up just when that stuff started happening. So, my, you know, but not everyone had it. I, I had a very privileged life. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad bought me a computer when they first came out because he could afford to. And I took advantage of that. 
Um, but that that barrier of entry is is gotten much lower. That mm-hmm. there's free software online that you can get your hands on and start doing stuff with. Uh, cameras are on everybody's phones. Yeah. You can start shooting video. So the access to those creative tools is much much easier. It's just apply yourself. It's just dig into that passion and do something cool, and then you can put it on YouTube and everybody can see it. Yeah, it's a, such a different world than when I was I was at sure. it. So. So that's the advice that I, you know, that I give to people and, and anybody who's in school, you know, or waiting until their degree is over to do these things is, is making a big mistake. That's an excuse. Don't like wait. You know, you can do it now. Yeah. It's great advice. Do it. Go make something. Yeah. Go make something. That's yeah. awesome. Um, and then lastly, any advice for someone thinking about moving to Maine or maybe not even moving to Maine, but just someone who happens to be listening to this and is like, oh, man, Maine. Like, I've never been to Maine. What's going on up there? Any advice for people curious about Maine? Um, yeah. I mean, Maine Maine is amazing. And Maine, it's, it's, this, it's this weird balance or duality of things in the sense that, you know, Maine is an amazing place to live. If I tried to run my animation studio completely in Maine with business is based in Maine, I wouldn't be here. I yeah. wouldn't have made it. The The economy in Maine is not set up to support, at least in particular, my mm-hmm. my industry. Um, I think Maine is struggling in some ways with that, but it, but it's an amazing place to work. So if you have the kind of work where you have clientele and you've got your career pretty well set and you can work remotely, this is the place to be. Yeah. Bring your clients with you, bring your job with you in that sense. Um, or if, you know, you have a skill set that, that fits the kind of industries that are here, um, you know, definitely come to Maine and Portland, you know, in particular, it's just amazing. The food scene and everything, the cost yeah. of living is a challenge, but, you know, there's plenty of suburbs, there's plenty of areas outside of Portland um, to kind of live. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really amazing place to live. Just, you gotta f- make sure you have the work or make sure you've got a, a career path, yeah. you know, set up ahead of time. Yeah. Um, cause yeah, there's not, you know, there, I'm probably one of the only animation studios in the state I think there's like one other studio that kind of does similar stuff to what we do. Yeah. Um, which is hard because when I go to hire people, a lot of times I have to find people from out of state. And I realize that I can't just hire someone out of a whim. And if projects fall out, you know, and I let that person go and they live in Maine, there's nowhere else for them to go get the kind of work. So yeah. they need to move and go somewhere else. And I don't want to do that to people. Sure. I want to hire people and keep them here, um, support them and bring them to Maine and keep them in Maine. And that's a huge challenge for me as an employer because – it means I grow very conservatively, very slowly. I don't overhire. You know, I try to keep things, you know, realistic in that sense. So that that's a challenge. But Maine is great. Whenever I have someone from out of state come here and visit, they love it. Yeah. So it's a huge selling feature to get it's people. It's a pitch. It's a pitch point. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. So it, interesting. it helps me in that regard. But it's but it's a challenge because, you know, I want people to, to be able to stay here and not yeah. have to go look for some unrelated job sure uh, in the area if they want to stay here well that that's yeah that's that's really interesting stuff uh it's really interesting to hear your take on on maine and media and all the stuff we talked about today yeah. thanks. um so thanks for thanks for having me here at sopo co-works yeah. and thank you to the portland pod for hosting us um thanks a lot man. awesome appreciate right. it yeah thank you
Thanks again to James for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. I think James is a great example of how when you find a passion and it is nurtured and you work hard at it, uh, you can you can achieve your goals. And I think his advice for other folks wanting to get into the creative arts was great. So whatever your passion is, put your head down and go create something. You can learn more about SOPO Coworks by visiting www.sopoco.works, and you can see some of the work that Sputnik Animation does by visiting www.sputnikanimation.com. Also, a special thanks to Tanner from the Portland Pod for hosting us at his studio. To learn more about the Portland Pod, visit portlandpod.com. Today's main music feature is by a band called The Gainers. They just released their first EP in April called The Mid-Coast EP. This is the first track off of it called Coastal Route. Begin my whiz in motion An hour from now and I'll be Eighty miles from here country roads Playing over my station When over my shoulder I see from out of state in the next lane she already seen me my eyes from across the lane just singing all the words country roads we're both on the same station and taking the same turn of fate exit 28 airing down chop through drive by across the roof stickers allowed wing gusts the blue summer's been overdue my dreams lost my mind is alive Back to green, go to left by something or I die. No forget to steal. What would I do if I could talk to you? Would you pay? You can choose what I'll say. It doesn't matter now, it's just me and commotions approaching. The currents are building that strain. The river sort of pull us on down. That was Coastal Root by The Gainers. That track has a great fun feel that I really love. I'm hoping to have The Gainers on the show for an interview sometime in the future. But in the meantime, to hear more from The Gainers, check them out at www.thegainers.bandcamp.com. 
it's time to wrap up episode four of The Main Experience. And today I'm going to leave you with a recording I made while on a bike ride on the Eastern Trail in Scarborough. Uh, my girlfriend Christine and I, along with our dog Benson, were out for a nice morning bike ride on the Eastern Trail. And there was a spot where a small creek flowed down into the forest. And uh, I thought it looked cool, so I stopped to take a picture. And I immediately noticed how cool it sounded with the water running and the birds chirping. So I just took my phone out and did a little recording of it. So uh, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Main Experience Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Main Experience is produced by Audio Evolutions. Audio Evolutions is a small business run by me, Jason DeWald, and I would love to work with you on your next project. In the modern age of digital media, it is easier than ever for people to be creative, but poor audio quality can distract from all of your hard work and ruin your project. Let Audio Evolutions help evolve your sound to the next level. Offering services ranging from full-scale music production for your next album, podcast production to give you the professional sound you deserve, audio post-production for video, location sound recording for video shoots, and even voiceovers. Send an email to jason at audioevolutions.net and let me know how Audio Evolutions can help you evolve the way your world sounds.